So in 2011, I had the opportunity to go to Rajasthan, India, with a couple of friends who were medical doctors as well. And we rode rickshaws through Rajasthan, which is the desert countryside of India, about 2,000 kilometers from Mumbai to Delhi in rickshaws. And along that journey, we provided medical care in several cities along the way. Osiyan was one of the bigger cities that we had stopped off in to provide medical care. And you never really know how many people are going to show up for care. It really depends on the lead person who went out a few days before us, set up a conversation with the local Raj and the local public health officials and the community activists and said, hey, we have a bunch of American doctors coming. Tell your local citizens that they'll get free care and to show up on X day. We showed up at Ocean, and there was already a line of people outside of this sort of mini theater stadium hall where we were going to provide care. It turned out we ended up treating 2,500 people in two days with six providers. They would line up for hours on end in these long lines. And it was quite a beautiful and scenic scene because in Rajasthan, women wear traditional pastel saris that are see-through and kind of meshy and silk-like because of the heat. And so it was just this beautiful sea of reds and pinks and aquas and stuff. It was really kind of amazing. But the story that really stuck out the most to me in, in sort of a funny way, if I could say a medical story is funny, is a case I refer to as immobility boy. Immobility means lack of movement. And so in the process of seeing about 500 cases in a row, you really don't know what you're going to see next or what acuity level of the case it's going to be. And so this mom brings her son in out of line and he's next in line and she sits him on his lap and my translator who's a medical student as well proceeds to tell me that the boy cannot walk i said how old is the boy boy's four years old he should obviously be able to walk by that age and then you know we start with the obvious things in medicine is there any physical disability or congenital disability or malformation that's quite apparent on him does he have developmental delay or any signs of poor development just in watching him engage with his mom? And I couldn't see anything. He looked totally healthy. He wasn't talkative, but no kid is going to be talkative in a chaotic scene of 3,000 people and a couple of white dudes from America. So long story short is I proceed to ask her several questions about his development and if he reached his milestones and also if he feeds well. He hadn't been losing weight. He's had no fevers. There really wasn't anything I could pin this on. And so what I do as an internist is I always take a step back and I remind myself of something someone taught me in medical school, which is 95% of diagnoses can be figured out or gleaned from just asking questions from the general history of a patient. So that's what I do as an internist. A lot of people say, well, what does an internist do versus a primary care doctor or a family doctor or a surgeon? And internists are taught to think about disease processes, the natural history of diseases, and apply that to the specific case. So I'm not a pediatrician, but I know enough about pediatrics to sort of engage this woman and ask the right questions. And I take a step back and I look at him and he looks fine. He's got good muscle tone. His reflexes are fine. He's tracking with his eyes and looking around. I don't see any signs of any kind of neurologic or like I said, developmental deficit. So I step back and I think to myself, well, what else could cause this? And why is this child not walking? And I asked mom, well, where do you put him? And she said, well, what do you mean, where do I put him? I said, where, where does he spend his day if he's not walking? Well, at night, he's in sleep in a bed with his family because everyone sleeps together. And during the daytime, he's in a baby walker, a device where you put a child kind of in a sling or a uh, harness in 
the middle of a plastic circular kind of device with wheels on it, and it was intended for babies to develop walking skills. Well, lo and behold, the one thing they teach you in pediatrics rotation in medical school, which is only six weeks, by the way, is that baby walkers are evil and never to use them. And I remember thinking, like, well, I grew up in a baby walker like everyone else did. Well, they're no-no. Like, no one uses baby walkers anymore. You can't even find them online. And the reason why is they actually retard infants' abilities to develop the reflexes and the uh, coordination required to walk. And so what kids do in baby walkers is they use the wheels to propel themselves to wherever they need to go. It's kind of like the path of least resistance. And if you think about it, it makes kind of sense. And so I took the kid on my lap and I pinched him a few times and he had good strength and good tone in his muscles. And I told mom that the worst possible thing for him is the baby walker. And she said, but he needs it. He can't walk. And I said, he will very quickly develop the skills necessary to start walking on his own. And the reason why he's going to do this is because like any kid who's four years old, they want to touch things and explore their environment and see things. And if mom isn't by his side to do that for him and there's no baby walker to do it for him, he will eventually develop the strength and coordination necessary to do it. And this is something that is so simple. And yet if you could think about this poor mother who has a four-year-old son who does not walk and what that could mean for her and her family is massive. I mean, you're basically telling a woman hey, just take away the baby walker and he's going to walk. But it could have just as easily been the reverse. Your kid has spina bifida or uh, cerebral palsy and is actually never going to walk again. And so as an internist, I look at this big picture and I think to myself, wow, obviously they don't have good parent education about how to appropriately raise a infant in terms of milestones, in terms of reading to their children at night, in terms of all the things that here in America we really take for granted. But being able to solve this case in such a simple, simple, simple manner by just asking the right questions really strikes me as one of the, the most significant cases in India that I took care of. And I really wish myself and my fellow physicians in America had the opportunity to ask more questions and to spend more time getting to know our patients, because that's really where the bread and butter of medicine is. It's not in sending someone off to a CAT scan or an MRI or a biopsy. It's really about asking the right questions.